welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, good morning and welcome. And as, uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned, if you will, open up your Bibles to Psalm 2, uh, or you can click over there on your device. Uh, so glad every one of you are here. Uh, my name is Fritz Biel. I'm one of the leaders here at Lighthouse Community. And uh, I do want to welcome um, everyone who's here this morning on campus. I want to welcome everybody who's joining us at our online campus. And then also want to say good morning to our Bluffton community location uh, in Bluffton. So we're super excited. Um, everybody uh, is here with us today, and we are actually wrapping up our series called Hope Unshakable. And so for these last six weeks, what we've been doing is we've been journeying through the Psalms together and all the while asking this question, where do we find hope? Right? Where, where do we really find hope uh, that the Psalms has pointed to? Where do we find hope for our daily living? Where do we find hope in the midst of our failures? Uh, Where do we find hope uh, when it seems like the world is just burning down all around us? Where do we find hope when it seems like our enemies are even winning and, and being successful? Where is it that we find hope? And as we've looked at the Psalms, right, each week, The Psalms, the scripture, has answered resoundingly, right? It said things like this. You find hope in God's word. You you find hope in God's justice. You find hope in God's forgiveness. You find hope in God's provision. You find hope in God's character. Have you caught the theme of where the Psalms are pointing us to finding hope? It's like, where do we find hope? Well, the scripture says this, unshakable hope is found in, in God. <laughs> there's, there's no other place that you're going to find that kind of hope because he's the center of everything. And actually, without him, we have no meaning. Without him, we, we don't have a future. Without God, we actually have no hope. Right? That, that's what the scripture points to. And, and I think that's what makes Psalm 2 so, so powerful. Right? And, and I just want to take a moment. I want to say thank you to uh, our, our team that actually developed this series. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, there is a team of leaders that came together and uh, they actually developed this series, Hope Unshakable. They chose the passages uh, through lots of prayer and discernment. They chose the passages that we would teach on. Uh, they chose the theme that we would dive into on this. And so there's actually a team combined, both from Lighthouse Community and Bluffton Community, of, of volunteers that came together, developed this thing, and then actually put it in front of the teaching team to say, hey, um, this seems like a direction God is leading. And so when I think about how this series came about, this series has been especially meaningful for me to know that this really is our family speaking to the family. And I think that's awesome. And I wonder if we could do this for just a quick moment. Could we just give a thank you to that team this morning for what they've done and how they've accomplished? I mean, this has been a really good series. So yeah, thank you. 
Thank you to you guys in Bluffton community. Thank you to the team that's represented here. And so I hope you know that, that that's a really key value about our family here at Lighthouse Community. We just, we do everything as a team. It's like, man, if you want to go do some solo thing on your own, uh, that's just not how we operate here. We do things together. And so huge thanks to this team landing here on this passage. Um, and so let's read the first few verses of Psalm 2. Uh, I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version. You can follow along with what you have, but this is what verse 1 starts out saying. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Now, I want to address real quick this opening question, because this is not a question of like, I wonder why. Why do the nations rage? Why? I wonder why the people plot in vain. No, no, no. It's, it, this is not a question of like mechanics. How does that work? And what does that look like? What this is, this is a rhetorical question. This is like a are you crazy question, right? They're like, why? What? Why in the world would you rage? Why in the world would the people's plot against God? Are you nuts? Right? Like that's that's what's tied up in all of that. Because what's happening here is you have the scriptures saying, listen, the nations and the people, they're angry. They're angry and they're making plans against God and against his anointed. By the way, that word anointed literally in the Hebrew is Messiah. And so they're making plans against God. They're making plans against his Messiah. And what are they angry about? Why, why are they raging? Well, you look there in verse 3. What hap- they, they actually see themselves as like slaves to God. They see themselves as prisoners. They see themselves as shackled up. They see themselves as like tied up, right, as prisoners to God. And they actually want to be free from God. They have this desire to be free from God. Sinful humanity actually believes that we can thrive without God. That, that's, that's the mindset behind this. We, we can actually thrive. We would be better off without God. That's the sentiment that's behind there. We would be better off without God. And so the nations and the people, they think that if they can put together a good enough plan if they can get united around this idea, if, if we can just get enough people together, then what we'll do is we actually have the capacity to overthrow God, right? Like that's, that's the thinking that's all tied up in here, right? And so do you see why verse one starts out with this rhetorical question of like, <laughs> You should have had a V8, man. Like, what are you doing? What is happening here? You, you think you can what? You think you can what? And so the Psalms, right, we've seen week in and week out would say, listen, God is the center of everything. Without him, you don't have meaning. Without him, you don't have a future. Without him, you don't have, I mean, you can't even exist. You're nothing. You want to be free from God? You want to oppose him? You know, I think, I think it's the philosopher, you know, Wayne Campbell from Aurora, Illinois, who said it best, and I quote, yeah, right, or monkeys might fly out of my butt, 
right? Like that's, that's like, that's a, the real capacity of what can happen here, right? And so, you know, you think you're going to overthrow God. And what's interesting is that's God's response too. Not the monkey's part, but right, like, but God's response, when you look at, at verse four, look at this. So you've got the nations raging, people plotting against God. Look at how God responds in verse four. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens, laughs, right? The Lord holds them in derision, right? He's making fun of them. He's jeering them. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so God's amused, right? He's like laughing about this. He's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, rage, make your plans. Let's see what happens here, right? There's this laughing that's going on, but there's a quick shift that happens too from verse three to verse four, right? There's like, I don't know, did you guys, my friends and I used to do this all the time uh, when we were growing up. I don't know if your friends would do this too, but you would be like laughing, you'd be like, <laughs> Did you guys ever do that? Like, we would do that, and you'd be straight face and go, right? And you just wipe the face, you wipe it. So, like, that's, that's what I see God doing here, right? He's, like, laughing, and he thinks it's funny, and then he wipes his face like, this isn't funny, right? It's like, this actually isn't funny at all. And so, this opposition to God, this indictment against his character, this indictment against his goodness, right? It's actually stoked his wrath and fury. You, you have to know that. Like, yes, he's laughing at, at like, what do you, who do you really think? But he's, it's actually stoked his anger, it's stoked his fury, it's stoked his wrath. And even in that, though, God's controlled. Because look, look, look what it says in the passage. He doesn't yell. He doesn't send booming thunder and earthquakes. What does he do? In his wrath and in his fury, he speaks. He just speaks. He speaks truth, he sa- and he just says this, I have a king set on Zion. There's a quiet terror about that, right? So here's what I mean by that. My mom and dad parented very, very different from one another. See, my mom, she would like yell and threaten and spank and all those things, and I was never afraid of her. I saw what she could do, and I was not afraid. My dad, on the other hand, never yelled. (laughs) He never threatened. He never screamed. My dad would get quiet, and he would stare right through you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Listen, you know what's so scary? I had no idea what my dad was capable of, right? Like that's a, so it's like when we got to that level, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm stopping. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm doing nothing. I do nothing. And so I just, because, right? Like he would just, and, and that's, that's what I sense here. Like God finds his creation's temper tantrum a little bit cute. It's like, oh, haha, they think they can whatever. And at the same time, he's not going to tolerate it right? He's not going to tolerate it. And so God speaks his plan. He says, listen, I have a king. I have a king who's going to, who rules from Zion, 
okay? I have a king who rules from Zion. And I want to take a quick side route here for just a moment, because if you're not familiar with this language, this language of Zion, you might be sitting there going, what is, I don't even know what this Zion, what does that even mean? So originally Zion was an actual location uh, that in the land that Israel conquered. It was a Jebusite region that was in the land of Israel. And so they would refer to uh, this area as Zion. Well, that's ended up where they built the temple, right? And the temple is where they worship God, and the temple is, was God's presence right, represented on earth. And so then they began to refer to the temple as Zion. Well, the temple resides in the city of Jerusalem. So then it began to be referred to as Jerusalem was Zion, because that's where the temple is. And then it brought it out to say, uh, broadened out to say, well, actually, Zion is the people of Israel, right? The nation of Israel. And then it began to develop to this idea that no, actually, yeah, Zion is all that stuff, but actually, Zion is this hopeful future when God will dwell with man and man will dwell with God and it will be as all is supposed, it was designed to be from the very beginning. And that became the clear understanding of what Zion, and so Zion is wrapped up in all of those things. And so you have to see that. And so when God says that he has a king who rules from Zion, He's saying that his king is larger than a regional king. He's more than a political king. He's more than an ethnic king. He's more than a national king that's just going to be for Israel. This is actually a king that rules over all of creation. And actually, in his authority, he is drawing creation to himself, to a time and place when God dwells with man, and man dwells with God, and we're at the place we were always designed to be, right? And all of creation will recognize his authority and who he is. And so wrapped up in that is the question, and you think you're going to overthrow God? You think you're going to overthrow his king? You think you're going to rage and plot and, and take over God's seat on the throne? You know, God's response for me as I was kind of reading through these passages, Job uh, chapters 38 and 39, like just came to me very clearly. If you're not familiar with that, um, what happens is, you know, Job's faced some real challenges in his life and his friends come and tell him what he did wrong and what he should do differently. In the meanwhile, his wife tells him, just curse God and die already. Uh, you know, like all kinds of encouraging things are happening in Job's life. And, uh, and there's this moment where God is just done listening to Job and to his friends, just horrible advice. And he steps in at, at Job uh, 38 and God speaks and he says this, where were you? when I laid the foundations of the earth, right? Uh, tell me, tell me if you have understanding. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Can you tell me? Shall a fault finder contend with the almighty he who argues with God, let him answer it. And, and over those two chapters, God just asks all of these questions. Have you seen the storehouses where the snow is kept? Where were you when I set the boundaries for the sea? What were you doing when I was speaking things into existence, right? And so God is saying, who, who are you? Who do you think you are? You, you're, you're going to oppose and step in independence away from me? 
You, you don't even know who you are apart from me. See, that's, that's why verse 1 is so key to understand, because it, it's, it's comical. It's comical to think that the nations, it's, 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 it's like ridiculous to think that people could actually thrive, right? Like survive, let alone thrive, apart from God, free from God, with like that, that we could dethrone him and live without him, right? And so it's comical, and at the same time, it's really offensive. You have to catch that. It's funny, but it's not funny, right? See, because God already has a king over all of creation. And the nations and the people want to put, them place there, put themselves in that place. And so you, you see this, right? This almost a little bit of a back and forth in verses 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6. And then you get to verse 7. And what happens in verse 7 is when you get there, God's king speaks. The anointed one speaks, the Messiah speaks in verse 7, and here's what he says. He says, I will tell of the decree. All right, I'm going to tell you what God has announced. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel." And so the point he's making here is, is this king, this anointed one, this Messiah is actually God's son. This is God's son. And so in the same way, like a father gives his identity and his authority to, to his son, to his children, right? In that same way, so this son rules in the identity and the authority of God, Right? Why? Because he is. Because he is God, right? He, he is God. He, he actually, he comes forth from God to represent God because he is God. That's, that's what this is peeling back the layers on. And then, and then the, in part of the decree, the Lord makes this announcement, right? It's in verse eight. He's, it's, it's actually important. He says, listen, the nations and the earth actually belong to the Son." Now, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but I would encourage you to do this. Write this passage down. If you're taking notes or, or send yourself a text or whatever, write down this passage, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, okay? I'm not going to tell you anything else, all right? Read, like, go to Matthew, not now, because I want you to hang with me. Go do it later. Uh, Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9, write that down, and then later, go look at that passage, and, and tell me, here's what I would even invite you to do. Like, shoot me a message after you do that, you know, Facebook or email or whatever, I don't care. And, and tell me about the connection you see about this promise in Psalm chapter 2 and what happens in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, right? It's, it's, it's remarkable, and, and you begin to see clarity on why this happened in this moment, right? He says the, the, the nations and the earth, belong to the Son. And then he goes on to say this. You know, one, one, one thing that this king is going to do, he's actually going to break the nations with an iron rod, and he's going to dash them into pieces like a clay pot. All right? There's an interesting play on words that doesn't make its way into English so well, but it does really well uh, in the Hebrew. 
And so some of your Bibles, actually, if you look at, at your Bible, you may actually have a little like note there. Um, and then if you go down, there's a footnote tied to it that says, you know, you shall break them. Uh, if you go down, you might have the footnote that says, you shall rule, right? Because actually that word can carry both of those meanings. And so when it says that you shall rule, that actually can easily be translated, you will shepherd, right? You will shepherd them, you will rule them, you will lead them with a rod of iron, right? Um, and so what, what's being said here? What, psalmist, what the psalmist is saying here is the nations are either going to be broken, meaning they will humble themselves before the king and allow themselves to be shepherded and led, or they'll be broken. They'll be humiliated and shattered into pieces, right? If you've read in First Peter at all, you know that Jesus is declared as the cornerstone, right? He's the cornerstone that our faith is built on, but actually if you oppose him, he's the rock that you're crushed by. This, this, is what, this is what the psalm is saying, right? Like you're either going to be broken because you humble yourself before God and you recognize him as the true king and you actually invite him to shepherd you and to lead you. Because that, right? That we talk about you like break a horse or you break a, you know, because what you're doing is you're, you're pushing back against that spirit of opposition and independence or, or they're going to be broken. They're going to be dashed to pieces like clay pottery, and they'll be humiliated, and they'll be shattered, right? And they'll be crushed. And so either, either they recognize that they rage and they plot in vain in the process, throw down their plans, throw down their rage, and come under his leadership, or they're going to be crushed. Why? Why? Because God already has a king. God already has a king for his kingdom. And it's not you. <laughs> it's not me. It's not any one of us. There's already a king for his kingdom. So you, ha you have to see, do you, do you see how offensive what is happening in verses one through three really is? This is more than just like, well, there was like, you know, a misunderstanding or, you know, people didn't fully get it. That's, that's not what's happening here. You do, because the thinking is, you can do better without God. I could actually thrive. I could succeed. I could be everything I could ever have the potential to be if I didn't have to deal with God. Do you see how offensive it is that, that his creation, okay, I want you to hear that, that his creation would actually seek to place themselves over and above the creator. That's what's happening here. That, that's what's taking place. It's the pot saying to the potter, you don't know what you're doing. It's the six-year-old who says to you, I don't need you, I'm moving out. And you're laughing because they're not saying it to you right now. <laughs> and while you laugh at it, you go, yeah, pack your bags. Go ahead, let's see how it goes out. At the same time, it rips underneath of your skin. There's a how dare you. <laughs> How dare you, right? I brought you into this world. 
I'll take you out. Make another one look just like you, right? Like, you know, right? Like there's all, that, all of that, right? It's, it's like offensive. It's funny and it's offensive at the same time. That the one who is created, you have, to catch, you have to catch this, the one who is created is always dependent on the one who created it. Let me say that again because that's so key. The one who is created always depends on the one who created it. We depend on the creator for meaning. We depend on the creator for purpose. We depend on the creator for existence. Right? And so it's a slap in the face when the created says to the creator, I don't need you. I don't want you. I can do better on my own, by myself, free from you. And here's what you have to see. We are the nations who rage. We are the peoples who plot in vain. That's us. That's not some other group of people who are out. It's us. That's you and me. We're the ragers. We're, we're the ones who are plotting in vain against God. Do, do you see that? Do you see that we're the ones who rage against God's authority and his kingship? And we do it by our own independent nature, which is quite frankly, it's outside of, of who we were created to be. And we do that every time we resist God's leadership over our lives. When we say, I, I can make a better decision on my own than I could under the leading and the leadership of God. Right? And the Bible refers to that as sin. That's the essence of sin. You have to see that. Right? Yeah, there's all kinds of manifestations of it where we take advantage of one another and we hurt one another and we do really hurtful things in the process. But the core of that thing is, I'll be in charge and I don't need God. I can do this thing. I would be better off without you. That's the essence of sin. And because of sin, we're actually underneath, underneath God's wrath. We're, we, we are underneath of his fury. And because we think that we should be king, we actually deserve to be shattered into pieces. That passage is for us. You have to know that, and you have to see that. And so through Psalm 2, what God is saying is this. He's saying, listen, you, you can't handle being king. You, you don't even have the, you don't have what it takes. You don't have the potential to be the king over all of creation. You can't even handle being king over your own life, let alone others, right? It, you don't have it in you. And I already have a king. <laughs> I already have a king. I have a king who has all of my authority. I have a king who has all of my identity. I have a king who carries out my plan. I have a king who is the clearest representation of my character and who I am. Right? I have a king who's good. I have a king that you can actually put your hope and your trust in. See, that's what Psalm 2 is saying here. And the reason that we can know this, and the reason that we can trust what God is saying, is the Bible reveals this king. The Bible reveals the good, trustworthy king who represents God in the clearest of ways. And the Bible says that king is Jesus. That Jesus is that anointed one. Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is the one who is God. He comes from God to represent God, right? To reveal us 
or reveal him to us. And, and you have to catch this. This king, Jesus, this anointed one, this Messiah, never once raged against God. Never once plotted against God to be free from him, to be independent from him. Never once raged against him. Never once plotted against him. And yet, I want you to catch this, and yet, he was broken for us. Jesus, the righteous king, the true king, was actually shattered. He was dashed into pieces on our behalf. He took the punishment of a traitor. That's, that's, that's what's going on here in the Gospels. He owned, he owned the humiliation that comes with the creation cursing its creator. He took the shattering that comes with that. And now, because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we actually have the blessing of hope. That through Christ, through Christ you can actually have new life. Through grace, right? Through faith, through mercy, we can have new life when we put our hope, we put our faith in Jesus Christ as forgiver and leader over our lives. And that's what verse 10 in Psalm 2 is pointing to, right? It says this, right? It's pointing to hope. Because that's what verse 10 is, right? It says this, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. And so God, what he's doing, he's putting forth a choice. He's saying, listen, you can either run into battle against the king over all creation, the all-powerful creator God of the universe. You'll lose, by the way, when you do that. That is a choice you can make. It does not end well, but you can make that choice. Or, or you can actually put your hope in him. You can put your trust in him. You can turn to him. You can trust in him. And so what he's asking the question is, verse 10 is this, what say you? And so if you want to put your hope in this king, here's what this looks like, right? Actually, verse 11 and 12 really points us to it. It's, here's what 11 and 12 says. Actually, let's do this. Let's read verses 11 uh, and 12 right here on the screen together, starting with serve the Lord. Are you ready? Go. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And so what he's saying is this, here's how you put your hope in the king. You throw down your rage, you throw down your plotting, instead, you serve, you rejoice, and you kiss. And so serve the Lord, right? What this means is to live under God's rule, to live under his leadership, to depend on God for life, like for real life, like genuine life. And so as God leads, I follow. As God leads, you follow. And, and, and so one of the best ways that we begin to, to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, the first one is putting your faith in him as the king, right? As the son of God, as the forgiver and leader of your life. You, you can't go any further until you do that. But one of, the, one of those practical ways after you've come to faith is actually to do this. It's actually to discover your spiritual gifts that he's given to you and use them in serving others in the kingdom, right? That's one of the clearest ways to actually serve the Lord, to use our spiritual gifts and our strengths for his purposes as opposed to ours, 
right? This is what this is pointing to. And so here's the practical side on this. If you're not already, I would, if you're not already on a ministry team, man, join one. Join one. Like, be a part of serving. Like, volunteer in Lighthouse Kids or Lighthouse Students. It's a blast. Like, find out how you can be a part of the music team or you can join the greeting team or anything along those lines, right? It's, like, so easy and it's a ton of fun. We're actually getting ready to relaunch our prayer team really, really soon. So that, that's an area you could jump into as well, right? And so, uh, you, like, what happens is this. When you start serving the Lord... When you start serving him in his kingdom and ministry, you actually find that he uses you in the lives of others in really remarkable ways. You start taking steps of growth in the process. Actually, when you resist serving and discovering and using your spiritual gifts, that actually becomes something that, that thwarts your spiritual growth. It actually slows you down. It keeps you from trusting God in all the ways that you could. And so, uh, man, you build new relationships. You take steps of growth, right? And so I would encourage you, here at Lighthouse, at Bluffton, all of our locations, if that's something you're interested in, man, check that, uh, that step on your back of your connection card that says volunteering and ministry, right? We will help you get plugged in on that. Actually, at Bluffton Community today, there's a meeting, a family meeting right after their service, and that's one of the things that uh, you're going to be talking about there is how do we engage and discover and use our spiritual gifts and ministry. So I would stick around for that. I think you'll, you'll really enjoy being a part of that. But serve the Lord, right? Get plugged in and do that. Then the other thing uh, it says is rejoice with trembling. Literally, you know what that literally means? Shout in gladness with trembling. That's, that's the literal translation of that. And so what I see God doing there is he's pre- Right? He's pointing to what's yet to come, but we look back, right, hindsight 2020, and we can see it really clearly. But what God is inviting us to do is he's actually inviting us to remember everything that Christ has done for us. He's saying, listen, recognize what you deserve. <laughs> recognize that you deserve the full wrath and fury of God for your sin in your life. That's a real thing. Every one of us deserves it. And then also, rejoice in the fact that Christ has taken that on himself. And instead of getting the wrath and the fury, you get the blessing of being a son. That shouting and gladness with trembling. I realize what I deserve. Oh, I really love what I get instead. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It's by grace. It's by mercy. It's by his generosity. And so I will shout in gladness knowing where I would be on my own if I was still plotting and if I was still raging. So he's inviting us to think deeply on the gospel until it thrills your soul, until it overwhelms you. And right, and like, it's just like, wow, I can't believe what God has done for me, right? And again, I think a practical way to do that is to actually tell other people about what Jesus Christ has done. Right, to share the gospel. Uh, Pastor Matt and Anna already mentioned about that. This Saturday, we're gathering together all the locations, Lighthouse and Bluffton and Heatherwood, and there's like believers from Alliance, Ohio, and I heard some people from Michigan. We had to do some background check, but we're letting them in. All right, you know, listen. Uh, you know, we're all gathering together to train, and then we're going into Finley to share the gospel, like just to pray with people and see how God can move in the lives of people right here in our city. And so if you don't have anything going on, be here next Saturday at noon. If you have something going on, cancel your plans, right? There, you got nothing going as good as this. Uh, but no, like come here, be here at 12. It's going to be great. Um, if, if you've never shared your faith before, actually especially if you've never shared the gospel before, you should come. You will see God move in remarkable ways. And so again, that's this next step you can take on your connection card as well. And then finally, uh, the psalm says this, kiss the son. 
And so what this is, is this is actually an invitation to submit to Christ. Actually to submit to Christ and to worship him. To submit to Christ and worship him alone as our king. To intentionally choose Christ as the center of your existence. To say that actually my life has no meaning apart from Christ. I have no purpose apart from Christ. That everything, who I am, is wrapped up in him. To celebrate him, to honor him, to love him, right? When we gather together on Sunday mornings to sing songs of celebration in his name, we're worshiping him. When we take the next step of baptism, simply because Jesus asked us to after we've said yes to him as Lord and, and, and forgive of our life, that is worship. When we forgive our enemies, we worship the Son, right? It means refusing any opportunity to our own crown and intentionally choosing to worship him in each moment because he's the true king. And so serve the Lord, rejoice with trembling, and kiss the Son. In Luke chapter 7, we, we discover this moment when Jesus is having dinner uh, with a group of people, and out of nowhere, uh, a woman breaks into the meal, and actually everybody knows who this woman is. Uh, she's described as like the most sinful woman of the city, right? Like everybody realizes it, and they get it. And she had lived life her way. She bursts into the room, and what she did next was both surprising and beautiful. You see, what she does is she comes in, and as Jesus is reclining, she comes uh, to his feet, and she takes this jar of some of the most expensive perfume, oil, that you can get, and she actually takes it, and she pours this very expensive oil perfume all over his feet, and she just sits at his feet, and she worships him. And she weeps and she cries. And actually, she cries so much that her tears cause the Lord's feet to become wet. And so there's this moment of, oh my goodness, what do I do? I can't, I can't believe this is happening. And so she uses the only thing that she thinks is, is, is worthy to even come close to the feet of Jesus. She begins to dry the feet of the king with her hair. And the whole time that's just happening, she's just kissing his feet, worshiping at his feet, right? Serving the Lord, rejoicing with trembling, kissing the sun. That's what it looks like to put your hope in God. That's actually what it looks like to put your hope in the king. See, what happens is pride and reputation and your standing and your rights, whatever that even means, are all thrown to the side for an opportunity to get close to the king over all of the creation. I don't give a rip what anybody else thinks. I don't care who notices me. I have got to get close to the king. And if all I get is his feet, then I'm going to make the most of that moment. And I'm going to worship his feet. Because he deserves worship in every realm. And so some of the onlookers were just appalled at what she was doing. Do you know what Jesus did? 
he says something to her. He says this. He looks right at her and he says this. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <laughs> that's, where that's, that's where that moment lands, right? That's the final words of Psalm 2, right? Let's actually do this. Let's read this last verse out loud together, knowing what this really means. Are you ready? Go. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you want the blessing, it comes through taking refuge in him. And if you want him, come and get him. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We, we ask this question every Sunday, and it's just simply this, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying through this passage? And I just want you to listen for a moment. Father, we, we recognize your power and your authority as king. We praise you that you are our only source of hope. There, there is no other place, there is no other person, there is nowhere else that we can take refuge in and find real blessing, lasting blessing, real freedom and salvation. Forgive us. Forgive us for the times that we actually believe that we can do this thing without you, that we would be better off without you. We know that's just simply not true. We confess how offensive our sin is. And I'm sorry, just doesn't feel like it carries enough. But we don't have better language right now. Maybe one day, we'll be able to express that better. But I would just pray for any of my friends who have been living under that lifestyle, that their self-leadership independent from you, believing that they can live life better without you on their own and either stiff-arming you completely or going to the step of just sprinkling in a little bit of religion here and there. But you invite us to put all of our weight, to put all of our trust, to put all of our hope, to put all of ourselves in your king, underneath of your rule, underneath of your shepherding, trusting in you alone. And I would pray for any of my friends at any location that if you're inviting them to cross that line right now, to throw down the rage, to throw down the plotting and the planning and to find refuge in you, that they would say yes to that. We bless you for your generosity to us that we don't deserve. Thank you that you made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And that only comes through Christ. We bless you for that gift. We ask these things in the most wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is the anointed one, who is the Messiah, who is the King. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.